Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Well, howdy and a good Saturday to you, or whatever day it happens to be that you're listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We are live streaming uh, on Saturday, May the 8th. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Harry Alexander with Bunker de France, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. Howdy. And we don't need no stinking lawyers. (laughs) Oh, hello. We don't need who? (laughs) No stinking lawyers. Yeah, no no lawyers. No lawyers. Well, please, no lawyers. No stinking lawyers. Send uh, send guns guns lawyers and money. More badges. We don't need no badges either. Badges. We don't need those things. Badges. I think Shakespeare was right. The first thing we do is kill all the lawyers. You know, man had an idea there. Uh, (laughs) There's something to be said, Harry. (laughs) Today's program is uh, we're going to pay tribute. Is that politically incorrect to to uh, rag lawyers? No. Oh, good. I hope so. I hope it is. (laughs) If it is, sue me. Sue me. (laughs) Stand in line. You know. In any event. That's right. In any event, our program today is... uh, Not about lawyers. No, we're going to remember actor and musician Johnny Crawford, who passed away... he wasn't a lawyer. No, he was not a lawyer. He passed away uh, April 29th in Los Angeles. uh, uh, Where he was born. mm -hmm, With um, uh, results of dementia and Alzheimer and, and such, so... Sorry oh. to lose him, but uh, I think we got a great show uh, set I up just, for this. I, oh, I, you know. Yes. Today is VE Day. By golly, it is May eight, nineteen forty five. Yeah, it is the eight. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Wow. How about that? You got a memory, man. Victory in Europe. You got a. You were there. No, oh, not in yeah. Europe, but. <laughs> <laughs> I never been to Europe. <laughs> Where's Europe? Anyway, that's where all them Europeans came from that ruined America for I, the Indians. I reckon. Yeah. I well, reckon. as the great Billboard Rockin' said, uh, immigrants. Uh, my family's been having trouble with them ever since we came to this country. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's get talking about Johnny Crawford. Uh, he was born in uh, 1946 in Los Angeles. Uh, and uh, he was an actor known, of course, for The Rifleman and bunches of other uh, programs. Uh, his, uh, his, I'm watching uh, The Lone Ranger now in, in order in the uh, started just started series five uh, or episode five, um, season five. Thank you. Right. And Which uh, year are you in? I don't know. An yeah. episode episode number five uh, is uh, Johnny Crawford is in that playing a uh, a crippled kid. His name was Tommy McQueen. Yes, he was. Uh, the the Santos, Santo, Santo Domingo. Domingo. Yeah. Yes. It was pretty good. Denver Pyle was his dad. Yeah. It was a pretty, pretty good episode. But um, and just a little tribute to, yeah. to uh, Emil. Yeah. He would have he mentioned for sure that the William Till Overture, composed by Rossini, was the theme song. Well, yes, it was. He would have done that. Yeah, he <laughs> he would have done the whole show. I, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, we know that uh, Crawford did some acting, a bunch a of acting. A ton of acting. And uh, his brother, uh, Bobby Crawford, did a bunch of acting as well. But you, something you may not have known about Johnny Crawford is that he was also a musician. A great musician. A very really good, good he musician. He was a world-class jazz guitarist and his his dream in life as he said to me many times was that he wanted to be J- Django Reinhardt the great yeah. jazz music guitarist from the 30s and the 40s wow Harry was going to talk about <laughs> yeah I, I mean did Django Reinhardt man it, it, I, I cannot think of another person um, who, who could who can strum a guitar like him Scobie. Uh, no uh, no or pick it or pick, you know yeah. Harry it's funny you say that because his hands remind me of like dancing spiders. Yeah. When he plays the guitar. Yeah. You, you know, know how quick a spider can move and how oh and my so God. They're each leg's doing its own thing in a totally different direction. And the old saying, well, one hand doesn't know what the other hand's doing. In this case, all the arms were doing different things, and none of them cared. And, and it came out as a beautiful and music. And, you know, I've, I've watched some film on him playing the guitar. Yeah. And, you know, the most amazing thing is that his fingers never left his hand. Uh, yeah. Isn't that pretty good, huh? Yeah. And that's yeah. always a good thing. It looked like he was going to, <laughs> but, you know. If I had tried to play something like that, uh, man, my the rheumatism would never have allowed that. <laughs> 
<laughs> Never have allowed Who's that. Who's your tea? Pick them with your tea. Yeah, right. You know what? Well, there was one time. Only blue I, glass and there's blue gums. <laughs> only Jimi Hendrix could play with his teeth. Yeah, right. I can't stand Jimi Hendrix. Oh, he, was a, he was a great guitarist as well. But that's oh, not what God. we're talking about. Genius. Yeah, but Johnny Crawford also had his own big band. He had his own orchestra. Yes, he did. Not, just, not just a musician. I mean, right. He was also the... Um, the union representative for the musicians' union here in Los Angeles. Yeah, and that's how I got to know him. Uh -huh. That's the first time I ever met him. Okay, so t and talk about that. Well, well we, one of the companies that my dad and I had, we, we decided to throw a party to kind of announce everything, all the different projects we were doing. And my dad said, Todd, we got to have some music. And he said, and I don't want any of that rap nonsense. <laughs> and I said, okay, Dad, uh, what do you want? And he said, well, I, I want something that's uh, classy. Classy, but I don't want it old fogey. And I said, well, how about, um, based on the setting that we did, it was done in, a, in an apartment that was uh, full of uh, French Rococo furniture. Mm. And he said, and... and and they, the one of the partners was from the Middle East, and he was going to have it in his home. And his home was all French Rococo, except in one room, he turned it into a Bedouin tea room. So you <laughs> sat on the floor on Persian rugs with pillows, and this woman sat there and served you this tea. It, it was t quite an experience, I have to dogs. tell you. And... Um, so he said, but so we got to have something that fits in with that. You know, you, you, uh, he can't, you know, you can't have some uh, group of knotheads from the Whiskey A Go Go come in there. <laughs> and I said, well, probably not, Dad. You're right. So I kept thinking to myself, what are, you know, and I said, well, how about a, Dad, how about a classical uh, uh, quartet? You know, uh, and he said, geez, Todd, it, it, it is true. And I said, what's that? He said, even a blind squirrel finds a nut, and uh, you have. So I, he said, uh, figure it out. And I said, okay. So I started calling around, and I remember I called one of my mom's friends that she used to go to the bowl and to the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion with all the time. My mom loved classical music and opera, and she said, oh, you want to call the Musicians Union? So I called him, I looked him up, I found him, and I called him, and I left a message. They said, well, somebody's going to call you back. And I get a call back. And, uh, hi, my name's uh, Johnny Crawford. And um, I'm with the Musicians Union. I get this call. And I'm on the phone with this guy. And I'm listening to his voice. And I'm saying, boy, this guy really sounds like Johnny Crawford, <laughs> the actor Johnny Crawford. But isn't it funny how his name is Johnny Crawford? So I decide to be cute and say, Oh, uh, I'm sure you heard this a thousand times, but, you know, uh, you share the same name as an actor. Uh, he goes, yes, that's because I am that actor. I am Johnny Crawford. And I said, you're Mark from The Rifleman? This is the show I grew up watching as a kid. This is, you don't know how important this is to me. Robert loses it again. And, and I just love that show. I just love that show. And, uh... And I used to, every time I watched it, I used to say to myself, one of the reasons I like watching the show so much is because he had, this kid, Johnny Crawford, Mark, the character Mark, he had more jobs and chores to do than any <laughs> 12 kids I ever saw in oh, my yeah. life. That's and I used to watch the show and think to myself, boy, am I lucky that I don't have any chores. <laughs> but that ended quickly, and my mom found plenty for all of us. Uh, but we had a very nice time talking he said, yeah, okay, great. I can put this together for you. He did. He showed up. And, you know, I kept thinking, oh, this guy's pulling my leg. This isn't, he's not really Johnny Crawford, the Johnny Crawford. But when he showed up, there he was. He looked exactly the same, except his hair was, you know, a different color. And But it was him. It was Mark. And uh, I used to say things to him like, boy, you know, sometimes I watch that show, and I really felt like you and Chuck Connors we're really father and son. He said, you know, uh, it's funny because Chuck Connors had a big influence on my life uh, as a human being and taught me a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I'm very grateful for the time I spent with him and, and all the different things we did. And, uh, you know, he was a, he, he, said he, he learned from it. He was very humble. 
and uh, he was really a good musician. He played it off that he was just this, um, you know, union rep, but he mm-hmm. was really so much more. Yeah. Was he steward or uh, a manager? He no, he was a, he was the union rep who okay. put together the musicians for that event because you had to do union. Mm-hmm. So he was the representative from the office. He came just to make sure that things were properly done and that we did, went by the rules of of the rules of the union. You well, know, have- so so many minutes uh, having access to a bathroom, having access to refreshment and, you know, so on and so on and so on, that we lived up to our side of the contract. You know, it's interesting thing about him is he did 14 consecutive, his, his orchestra did 14 consecutive art director's award show banquets. Hmm. That is pretty darn well, impressive. Well, and I'll tell you something. You don't, you don't get a gig in Hollywood for Hollywood unless you're good. And you don't There's do just no two ways about it. Yeah, well, you know? his his maternal grandfather, Belgian violinist Alfred Megerlin, I hope I pronounced that correct, uh, was uh, the concertmaster for the New York Philharmonic uh, and the Minneapolis Symphony and the Los Angeles Philharmonic uh, throughout his career. So there, the music gene was uh, definitely in in there. Uh, as well as the horse riding gene, because his other paternal grandfather was a horse jockey. <laughs> yeah, and, but he was also the one that ended up with a music company and right. became a music publisher. Right, right. Sold his company for something like forty to seventy million dollars. Yeah, or something like that. yeah. Amazing. Well, and and and, yeah. and Crawford was also one of the uh, uh, original Musketeers. Yep. And yes, and, one of twenty-four. And he. Uh, uh, in an interview on um, the Today Show, uh, he he was asked why he why that didn't uh, stick, and he said he had troubles uh, keeping his eyes off of a net uh, in order to learn the dance moves. <laughs> so did I. Well, I was, I was, yeah, I was so did I, and I was at home. Uh, you know, I have my I have trouble now keeping my eyes off oh, of a net. Well, you know, Listen, well, and, and if anybody wants to know why Frankie was always smiling, we now know the answer. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, one of the interesting things too. Is for his audition for uh, the Musketeers, he did an impersonation of Johnny Ray, mm-hmm. singing impersonation, and I guess he wowed him. Mm. And then his fencing skills, which they uh, showcased on the show, he had, he had, was a Southern California fencing champion, as was his daddy. Well, you know, after he left uh, uh, the Rifleman series, he went on to recording uh, career, music career, and uh, uh, you got I, I got a clip of him uh, doing his uh, 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 number eight on the Billboard uh, charts, uh, a tune called Cindy's Birthday. Typical teen singer. Michael Jackson, eat your heart out. <clears throat> no, yeah, no. It, it, I like it. I think he's better than Jackson. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, I mean, a typical uh, uh, teen singer of, heart the, throb. of the 60s. He's yeah. Sex symbol. Yeah. You yeah. Know, don't even know what it is yet. Yeah, he was probably, what, 16, maybe? Yeah. So. Uh, well, you know what the interesting thing? Uh, in 59, him... His brother Bobby and his father Robert were all three nominated for Emmy Awards. His father for uh, film editing and Bobby and him, uh, I guess they competed against each other for Best Supporting Actor mm. in a Continuing Role. Mm. If it had only been one of them, he might have won. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, 2005, and this is one to be close to uh, Todd's heart, uh, he was awarded, he actually got two Golden Boot Awards, uh, one for Kids of the West, and another one just for being Johnny Crawford and his contribution to the westerns. Well, and he was always working. He yeah. constantly worked. This is a, again uh, back to Bill uh, Dick Powell. It's about 
working. Yeah. It's not about being a star. It's not about being a personality. It's not about being a celebrity. It's about working. And he kept working. Not, and by the way, he did the Dick Powell uh, a Zangri Hour. Yeah. He was on there. He yeah. was on the Donna Reed show. Yeah. He was doing films. He was doing TV. It didn't matter. For him, it was about the work and working. And he also... And I don't... And he, I don't think there's any greater testament to that. Indeed, and and uh, his love of the West. He was a former member of the PRCA, Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association, and the uh, AJRA, the American Junior Rodeo uh, Rodeo Association, and uh, did compete frequently at rodeos throughout the country in the sixties and seventies. He rode bulls. He did uh, bulldogging, and he was a, a, a rope. Uh, oh, great trick roper. Trick roper. You know, his, talk, uh, talk about that. Uh, you, well, you were mentioning you know, that before he, we went to air. I'm trying to remember the, the guy because he started, uh, uh, Monty Montana got him started, taught him the flat loop, and then one of the Wranglers on, uh, on Rifleman taught him how to do the butterfly, but then he was a lifelong uh, friend and student of uh, oh, what's his Bill. Name? Bill Mc, Gene McLaughlin. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, who also it's funny. I, Gene and I did both did double saddle falls on uh, uh, Rambo three. <laughs> yeah, we both got killed simultaneously and died magnificently. <laughs> but but he was you know and he and he would, well when he would do personal appearances he would do his trick roping. Mm-hmm. He would do it out there at uh, William S Hart Park when they'd have the get-togethers out there. Well, and there's a clip of him. Uh, doing uh, his, his orchestra and he comes on stage uh, with the rope twirling the rope mm-hmm. and uh, you know d- does all the stuff that he's supposed to do with it and makes a little mistake and throws the rope down and he exclaims to the audience this is old it's old it's an old rope <laughs> you know I was thinking you know he would have been great in the Will Rogers musical yeah because Keith Carradine did it you know and mm-hmm. Keith did a wonderful yeah. job and he could and like I say uh, this kid could really trick rope. Well, we got to do our very first commercial no. break. Here. Yes, we do. No. Time, time is flying, man. No, time, time is money. Uh, uh, we're quicker than quicker than something through a goose. There you go. Uh, you're in tune with Emil Franzi's of Voices of the West, Harry Alexander Bunker to France, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles, and our topic is actor Johnny Crawford, and uh, we'll have more more of his music as well coming up after these important messages. Stay tuned. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. 
Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Coming to you from the great southwestern United States. You're darn tootin'. Yes, sir, Bob. This is the Voices of the West. Yes, we are talking about, not the Rifleman, but uh, Johnny Crawford, Mark McCain from... uh, the son the of the rifleman. The son of the rifleman. Well, you know, Todd was talking about. And uh, by the way, before we uh, finish that yeah. off, uh, those uh, intro sound effects of the Winchester going off. You know where that was recorded, don't you? Hmm. You know where that was recorded, don't you? Where it was recorded? Yeah. In uh, somebody's backyard. No. At the firing range. No. Na- the naval. White armor? Stallion Ranch. White Stallion Ranch. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You told me that I a long did. time ago. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, we Todd was talking about uh, Dick Powell's Zangree Theater, and you know, the, and Johnny Crawford's connection with that. And it's interesting because he did two westerns uh, with uh, Zangree Theater, uh, and one called "The Man Unforgiving." He played Billy Prescott, and then in the se- other one, he did uh, it was an episode called "The Sharpshooter," and it turned out to be the pilot for the Rifleman. Mm-hmm. And it's old, mm-hmm. which is pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. And also, it's also important to remember that he was in f- other films. You know, he was in The Naked Ape uh, with Victoria Principal and John Hillerman from Magnum P.I., which was produced by Hugh Hefner. He was yeah. he was in, of course, El Dorado. He was, also he was in a lot of other films. And his band headlined in Vegas. And it was known as the JCO, Johnny Crawford Orchestra. And they also played at um, the Playboy Jazz Festival. Mm -hmm. So you don't get to play in Vegas regularly, in the lounge even, unless you're high top shelf. And you also don't get to play at the Playboy Jazz Festival unless you're top shelf. So anybody who thought that his music career was a dilly-dally or, you know, he got to feed off his name or live off his name as Mark on the Rifleman and got that parlayed that into a music career would be incorrect because he had too many he hit too many standards and hit too many levels of excellence. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, too, his music career actually, in a sense, started with the Rifleman. He did he did an episode uh, called Old Tony. And he sung the song Greensleeves in mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And then he did another episode called A Young Man's Fancy, and he did a song, uh, Something Special. I've got a clip here uh, that I, I'll like to play. It's uh, from the Today Show, and Ooh. this is from 1989. And uh, it's uh, Johnny Crawford and a trio of musicians here. I don't have the name of the clip, but uh, let's find out what it's all about. Okay, boys. One, two. I found a use for Mother Goose that well deserves my praise. It's been such a consolation when you start your tardy way. On Weaver date, I'm never late, you're never quite on time. So I made a variation on an old familiar rhyme. Oh, one, two, button your shoe, put on your coat and hat. I play a game like that while I'm waiting for you. Four, three, four, open the door, hurry for heaven's sake, I count each step you take while I'm waiting for you. Five, six, my heart does tricks as I picture all your charms. Seven, eight, you're at the gate, you walk into my arms. Oh, nine, ten, kiss me again, tell me you get a thrill. You know, if this guy had uh, just concentrated on singing, he could have been another Bing Crosby or or, uh, another crooner. You know, I was just listening to that, and that's my favorite era for jazz music is the 20s and the 30s. And 
that is like it just fits in there mm-hmm. just like you know Ella Fitzgerald and Duke it, Ellington. It, it doesn't you know. go out of style. No, no, that was just awesome. No, no, it doesn't. Well, I got a I got a question for you guys on the rifleman. Oh. Everybody, everybody, we talk about their horses, mm-hmm. and he he had it the first year. I don't know about the, the ensuing years, but do you know what the name of his horse was in the first year? Uh, no, first I year? don't. Do you, Todd? No. Well, no. the the screen name because horses are like a- actors; they don't use their real name. You're right. Uh, the, the screen horse is called Blue Boy. It was really a horse named Bosco. <laughs> and this is interesting too is that the location of the McCain Ranch was actually the 20th Century Fox Ranch uh, which is now Malibu uh, Creek State Park and I mean they had the cool ocean breezes there so that was <clears throat> you talk about a prime prime location to shoot a series wow wow that is mm. just so cool and he has a star on the uh, western walk of fame up in Newhall Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. By right in front of William S. Hart's house, where we're going to go visit when you come to L.A., mm-hmm. you and Bunker. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bunker and Harry. Yeah. Yes. He did we're going there, and he, we're going to do a show from there. Yeah. We can stand right there on Johnny Crawford's spot and do the show. <laughs> well, we're going to go up the hill, Bunker, and we're going to we're going to go do the show from the house. And then I have a surprise for you, Uh-oh. because... Um, can, you, can you get us in the house? <laughs> well, yeah, I used to be a volunteer docent there. Oh! So, oh, yeah, we're going to do a, a show tour. from there, and then I have another surprise for you. Oh, cool. Which I'm, I'm not going to divulge to here on the show, tour. because I want it to be a surprise. All right, most excellent. Do I, do I, do I have to be searched when I leave? Because <laughs> he's got some great Charlie Russell stuff on the wall. You have Without to be, a doubt, you have to be Bunker, searched you're every time. Be searched. <laughs> he, he's coming. <laughs> o- he's coming over to my house tonight, and, and we're going to a big bag. We're gonna we're gonna uh, watch westerns, drink beer, and eat pizza. And uh, it's because the little woman is off on vacation someplace, and so I, I have to watch. I him. am so hurt. I know, but truly, you know, come on down. Hurt. Come on. Hurt. Down. Come on. You can hey, make it. Hey, if you if you get a quick jet, you could be. You over can make here. it. We'll, you could be here for the second uh, half of the pizza. We'll, We'll hold it, man. We'll hold it for you. Come on well, down. Well, I I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> I do have to tell you that uh, you know you're speaking about your jet. You know, I you know I sometimes I think about people I've known who are really wealthy and successful, and I, wow, that guy's pretty wealthy. He's pretty successful. Isn't he? But um, on Wednesday, Mark Zuckerberg bought 600 acres in Hawaii, <laughs> and I thought to myself, poor guy. Oh my God! <laughs> there goes the neighborhood. That's sick. That's successful. <laughs> there goes the Six hundred acres. Yeah. In Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Hope it's yeah. on the leper colony. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and by the way, that that now makes his total holdings in Hawaii. He has over a thousand acres wow. in Hawaii. He owns more than the state of Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's going to start charging the Hawaiians rent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, he also did a cover of Western Horseman. That's. You know, very few actors were ever on the cover of Western Horseman. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because he was a great horseman. Yeah, he, was. he really was. And that, you, that just goes to show you, too, though. You know, it's easy to make the cover of Cowboys and Indians. All you got to do is be a big, you know, do a big series or something. You don't have to even be a cowboy or, or real, you know, just, you're just an actor. Maybe you bought an acre up in Montana so you could be a rancher. But this guy's, you know, he's he's a hero. True. Oh, I, th- I think it's interesting that uh, he and Chuck Connors were teamed together uh, in an episode of Branded yes. in 1965. The episode was uh, Coward Step Aside, and um, uh, he was de- Craw- Crawford plays a, a deputy. Yeah, he de- deputy Clay Holden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was funny. Holden. That's well, you know, here's, here's, this is kind of neat too. Uh, Dell Comics had a, a Rifleman comic series, mm-hmm. and it was one of the more successful uh, TV comic books. Interesting. It did tons of them. I don't know how many, but I know, I know they ran for several years. You know that. Hmm. That's, and I love comic books anyway. Yes, so you do. My reading level. Is in another oh, bunker another uh, uh, series uh, that I recall 
watching <laughs> uh, called Whirly Birds. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. From 57, 57 to 58. Uh, he was in, uh, what, three episodes of that. Uh, who else was in that? Uh, um, oh, golly. I think Ken Curtis in that? I, I think Ken Curtis was in that one, or was he in uh, the Ripcord? The Ripcord. Maybe yeah, that was okay, in Ripcord. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, he did, he did he did a, a kid called uh, an episode called Ghost Town, and he was he was Ricky in that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, this is this is great too. Uh, he did two books on tape that I know he probably did more. Uh, both of them by a Western writer Eric Frazee, and it was the uh, what have we got here the Singing Sands and the. Retinal feud. Oh, the retinal feud. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, he was doing every. He, this kid knew how to make a buck. Well, yeah. And you weren't going to stop him. You weren't. You weren't going to side. You weren't going to sidetrack him. He wasn't going to take no for an answer. Yeah. So, he, uh, and I think that that's so admirable in today's world, but especially in Hollywood in general. Yeah. He's. You know. He's an exemplary. This is something that uh, I know it would never take, but it's something that all young people who want to be in the film business, they need, they, I think they, they don't know the histories of the people that were in the business before, but he's one of the ones that they should know the business because he's such a good example. Yeah, uh, uh, if you work, you will be successful. Work ethic, yeah. yeah we have. And this ethic. kid, you know, they said, you know, you know, his, uh, they interviewed his uh, on-set School teacher when he mm-hmm. was doing the rifleman asked him about him and she said he was he was you know top form student hmm. he was like he and he did it with enthusiasm a smile and he wasn't you know he was like this is important stuff and I've got to give it my full attention it wasn't like I'm I'm a TV actor and I don't have to do this right he was a genuine person he was very humble he was yeah. very nice. I think he's very grateful. You see that in uh, appearances, uh, just in the brief ones that I've seen uh, on YouTube. His appearance on the on uh, the Today Show, and then this other uh, clip that I saw where uh, he comes in, uh, uh, is introduced. The orchestra is there, and he comes in uh, doing the rope tricks. Um, yeah, just a, just a humble kind of guy. And you know, it's, this is interesting because yeah. Neil Summers. Uh, he did a lot of the, you know, the uh, Western movie conventions and things like yeah. that, and and the, and the paper shows and that. But it's, what's really interesting is that, uh, you know, Johnny Crawford was cast in Do a Diablo as the guide on bearer, and we were bit, we were up there about three or four days into shooting, mm-hmm. and he got the notice that he'd been drafted, mm. and so he had to leave, and Neil. They, Neil got promoted to uh, guide on, <laughs> but uh, they were they were good friends. Neil taught the world of them, you know. And, Interesting. And, you know, it, it, and, you know, I'll say this: if Neil likes somebody, they're good people because Neil's pretty picky. <laughs> I mean, he, he he don't suffer no fools. I see. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we got to do another commercial break here. Our topic is uh, Johnny Crawford. You're listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and Todd Roberts. We'll be back with more after this. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Paul Ash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Paul Ash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete
complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 skeet fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. Hi everyone, it's Susan McRae and welcome to Chaparral Roundup. As you know, I've postponed the March event to October 1st, 2nd, and 3rd so we can all relax, have a great time with great dinners, a great lunch at the White Stallion Ranch, Q&A panels, screenings of a couple of our favorite High Chaparral shows, the documentary of Kent McRae so we can honor him during his favorite reunion. And we have a great silent auction to benefit the Robert F. Hoy and Kiva Hoy charity at the Tucson Medical Center. If you're already registered for March, you're automatically registered for October. But if you're not, you better register by September 17th. I look forward to seeing you all, and so does Don, with his confessions of an acting cowboy. You'll have fun. See you in October for the Chaparral Roundup at Lodge on the Desert in Tucson, Arizona. you mind telling me what all this means? You happen to be Tex Haney, don't you? That's right. You happen to be a lawyer. Try it again. You're our man. You coming along or do we have to persuade you? Hello. Are your guns loaded? Sure is. Then I'm persuaded. This is the Voices of the West. Welcome back to Emil Francie's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd Roberts. And uh, by golly, you point a gun at me and the bullets are in there. That persuades me, too. (laughs) That was from uh, a Tex Ritter movie. (laughs) Well, you know, as long as we're talking about him being drafted... You know, he, he spent two years in the Navy, in the Navy, in the Army, <laughs> and uh, while he was there, he worked as, uh, for, on training films right. as a production coordinator, an assistant director, a script supervisor, and once in a while, they'd stretch him and make him act. <laughs> and he, when he left, he left with an honorable discharge in 1957. It was before you uh, went into service. And he was, well, no, I can't be right, because... No. No, because he, he wouldn't have been old he, enough. Because he, he, he went in, in 63. Yeah. You just got out. Remember I keep telling you about you yeah. can't, yeah. the computer, IBM, and right. uh, Wikipedia, and all those guys, <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about. Or as one of your cowboy chuckles goes, computers make great <laughs> mistakes fast. Well, they, the computers never make mistakes. <laughs> yeah, I'm like that. Anyway. And, you know, this is, again, this is for Todd now. Uh, be, between uh, December 1957 and 1987, he recorded 30 records. That's not counting his uh, JCO records. Hmm. That's a well, lot of and I think you know, uh, if you if you if you said the number was three, then you might be able to say, oh well, he got himself financed or whatever. Yeah. But that means you had a record company that was willing to book studio time to book the musicians, to book the engineer, to book the producer, record everything, right. and then afterwards keep that engineer and that producer on payroll to now fully produce the album. Distribute. That takes a lot of money, yeah. and you don't do that if somebody's no good or their albums aren't selling or if they're 
if if there's no market for it. And so obviously there is a market, and there was a market. For you it. you might know was that was that uh, Dieflow Records? I, I know it's something like that that he recorded for. I never heard um, of Dieflow, but that doesn't mean, but that doesn't mean anything because I never heard a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I had it here. Uh, I was looking at it a second ago, but I lost it because I was probably um, looking at something I shouldn't have been looking at. But that's okay. <laughs> well, um, then while, you know, while you do that, we'll do another Johnny Crawford tune here. Yeah. And uh, th- this is, uh, I think, one of the best uh, of the uh, of the three that uh, I've played here. This one's called "Sweeping the Clouds Away." This is the Johnny Crawford Orchestra. My, my tap your toe. Oh yeah, you're tapping your toe. But more importantly, I'm seeing my my uh, uh, vision of this is all these people in in tucks, tails, mm, and yes. long gowns. Tropicana. Uh, yeah, at, on the dance floor. You, you know, know it's funny because I was seeing something too. But I was seeing Mary Melodies, the early you know black and white. Uh, cartoons that you used to see in the theater with all yeah. the little dancing bugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, I love, I still, that's still my favorite cartoon. <laughs> and it was the music. I just love mm-hmm. that music. We should do his music more often. You know, uh, uh, we, can, we can lie about something. Yeah, I dinner. guess I can. Yeah, you know, not that we would ever lie, but. No, we don't do that stuff. So, <laughs> speaking to your question about the record company, his record company was Delphi Records. Delphi. Delphi, uh, yeah. Delphi was more universally well known for being the home of Richie Valens. Yeah. And created the whole Richie Valens uh, phenomenon. But it was also the home of others, such as the Bobby Fuller Four, Barry White, um, and it had you know other sister labels as well that were variations on that. You know, this is a this was a quality label. It wasn't something out of the back of a garage, and I think that just speaks to you know that here is a guy that was multifaceted, that mm-hmm. was able to do more than one thing, even though. Hollywood not necessarily wanted him to do more than one thing. He did. And, you know, I think uh, that we don't see it as much as we, we'd like to, um, but it's great to see. And, and some of the other artists on that, uh, that those label and the sister labels were uh, Frank Zappa, the Safaris, oh, well, uh, the Centurions, <laughs> Spiderweb, Little Caesar and the Romans, wow. uh, Outrageous Cherry. Uh, the El Caminos, uh, you know, and I think it, it it just goes to show you that you can't judge a book by its cover and say, you know, here's Johnny Crawford. He was just this. He you was know, so much more. He could, and he I, could I, wear a top a, hat and we're a gonna cowboy miss it. hat equally well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I used to see him at the cowboy, uh, the, the Algonquin Cowboy lunches here in L.A., and uh, he was always. It didn't matter. He was always a gentleman. He was always uh, uh, willing to chat with you and spend some time with you. He never had his nose up in the air um, like so many that I've known over mm-hmm. the years that, you know, um, shouldn't really even have a nose. In fact, it should be like <laughs> below their feet. The only reason they um, had was so they could you know, brown it. Yeah. Well, and he had been taught some humility in his life. And he had, you know, known that it wasn't all about him and uh i think he's somebody that's going to be missed because we we don't see guys like this much anymore and and the ones we do see we're losing 
You know, I want to point out something here. You know, he has a unique distinction, and that is an, an Academy Award uh, for a project he worked on, a short subject, the resurrection of Bronco Billy. Uh, it was 1970, and the director was James uh, Rokos. The producer was a good friend of his, and that's partly why it got done. But he was he was the star of the thing, and it was for best short subject, and it was made originally as a student film. Huh. Yeah, it was a favor. He did yeah. it as a favor yeah. to his friend, and uh, that shows a lot of class. Yeah, you and know, you know, you when work you with take time films, out of you your day, um, to you take time out of your own day to do. Something that's a favor for people. There's so many times I've heard stories about tremendous what ifs. Um, you know, there was a, a a screenplay floating around for years at the end of uh, uh, Orson Welles's life, and many people, and I won't say who, all said they desperately wanted to do it. Oh my God, I'd work with Orson for free. <laughs> For free, I'll work with him. You can, what a privilege! What an honor! What, what a what a lesson for me to have done that. Mm -hmm. uh, if we notice, the film was never made, and none of them were ever in it. Mm. <laughs> and you could say, "Oh yeah, well, lawyers got involved, this and that." You know what? I'm not interested. If you want to make it happen, you're going to make it happen. And if you don't want to make it happen, I don't care how hard you push to make it look like you're making it happen, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So don't, you know, I'm, I'm not buying, tell your story walking, as my mother used to say when we were in trouble. <laughs> um, and that's this a perfect example. And I have, there are major names involved in that Orson Welles story. Major names you have a respect for every day, mm -hmm. that you watch films of every day. And when it came, when push came to shove, Oh well, am I gonna make you know uh, nothing, something a little bit above scale or whatever, be, to be in this film which has no money, or am I gonna go off and do whatever? They went off and did whatever, yeah. and you know they lost out on the experience of being able to spend the afternoon or week or two weeks with Orson Welles. Mm -hmm. And I think Johnny Crawford's somebody who looked up and said, you know what? It's about the work and the people. You know, there's an interesting the correlation to there, too. And the same year, uh, he did the making of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, a documentary, and he was associate producer on it. Now, documentaries aren't money makers. So, again, like Todd said, he he was somebody that he believed in things and he backed them and he worked on them and tried to make them happen. Right also, for, writing for the brand. And he also word. did another <clears throat> documentary called The All-American Cowboy, uh, he just appeared in it, but uh, that's a great documentary. That's something that should be on uh, anybody that loves uh, documentaries on the West. It should be on their list. we got to do our and final. And also, it's important to reala realize that he was a giver. Mm -hmm. He helped people, and you know, not just people in his life, but he helped people he didn't even know. Um, he basically sponsored Victoria Jackson, mm -hmm. yes, a great comedian yes. who went on to be part of uh, Saturday Night Live and so many other great films that's given us so much great entertainment. And he bought her her first bus ticket and said, here, here's some cash, here's a ticket, go out to Hollywood and fulfill your dream. That takes, that, that takes a willingness to be selfless and give. And uh, I know it's a little bit foreign for most uh, <laughs> actors to understand that terminology. Look it up in the Webster's Dictionary. You might learn it by the end of the next century. But good luck. But it's, a, it's, stumped. it's about, you know what it is? It's about not making it about you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm making it about somebody else. We got to do our final commercial break. Here on Amal Franzi's Voices of the West, our topic is Johnny Crawford. Bunker to France, Harry Alexander, and Todd Roberts with you. We'll be back after this. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda, 
That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. When it's roundup time in Texas and the bloom is on the sage, then along to be in Texas, back a riding on the range. Just smell the bacon frying when it's sizzling in the pan. Hear the breakfast horn in the early morn, drink my coffee from a can. Just riding rock and roll. Can't get enough of that stuff. Man. I love it. Every time you play that, you go off into the zone somewhere. Yipper. It's a wonder you come back. I know it is. Yeah. It's it's uh, just Jimmy Wakely trio there. Well, you know, we mentioned Mr. Ed. He did a Mr. Ed uh, neighbor kid on an episode called Ed a Goo Goo. That sounds great. <laughs> We're but, talking about Johnny Crawford here on Abel Franzi's Voices of the West. I wanted to, uh, before we leave Johnny Crawford today, because we're almost out of time, his last movie in 2019, so he was still going strong up until he got to, he got sick, uh, was Bill Tillman and the Outlaws. Uh, I was also told the Marshal, and it was done by One-Eyed Horse Productions. What a great name for a production great company. One, yeah. uh, Bobby Carradine was Frank James in it and Darby Hinton. He was Cole Younger, but Johnny was the best part. William S. Hart. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Two-gun <laughs> Bill. Yeah. And, and our good friend Don Collier was in that. Don Collier was in it. I didn't know that. <laughs> okay, that's all right, Don. And also I want to mention, you know, the shootist. Uh, he was in the shootist. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize that, but the montage at the beginning yes. is is uh, when Wayne is shooting down all these guys. Uh, he was one of the guys they shot from El. It was a clip from El Dorado. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. He got around. That he did. He's going to be missed. Yeah. You know, you, you don't. You, you look at a child actor and you wonder 
are they going to continue on in that business? They're going to find something else. And he continued on, and he did find something else, and he was successful at just about everything he well, did. Well, yeah, you think about it, he was he was juggling multi careers at sure. the same time, yeah. And that's hard to do mm-hmm. for one career, especially out there. You know, this is this is again, this one's this is for uh, Todd, but he did a picture of the Restless Ones in '69, and he was the historic music consultant. And so that's one of the things you can add to his title of, 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 of what he could do. He was a music historian as well, especially the big band. Very much. The old big band era. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he loved that film by Woody Allen with uh, Sean Penn, where he played the guitarist who is seeking to meet Django Reinhardt. And yeah. he said, I relate to that so much, that guy's journey of, of trying to meet him. And be like him, and be around him, and you know, have some of his fairy dust fall off on me, and, uh, <laughs> and you know, that was kind of an interesting, you know, perspective because for him, I mean, Django was gone. Obviously, the character in the film sees sees him one time, and you know, his mouth hangs open, and he catches flies, uh, and I think <laughs> it's a, it, you know, that's kind of how Johnny, you know, even though he knew he was never going to meet Django Reinhardt. He still was in search of the fantasy of wanting to meet Django Reinhardt, trying to be like Django Reinhardt. And I, I think, you know, as Eleanor Roosevelt said, uh, the, the future belongs to those who believe in their dreams. And I think that's what, honestly, the entertainment business is all about. It's somebody believing in a dream. And Johnny believed in all of his. Harry, I remembered the name of that guy I told you here in Tucson. Yeah. That was uh, studied with uh, Reinhardt. Lou Stebner. Okay. And this guy was a fantastic guitarist. I mean, he, again, you know, you, you never saw his fingers. They were a blur. Yeah. Just incredible. Well, you know, his, he also uh, did a couple of Kenny Rogers gamblers. He did the gambler part two and the luck of the draw. And in the luck of the draw, he played a kid named, or a young man named Mark McCain. <laughs> and it had, it had well, that was the gimmick on that episode was it was all the old time uh, yeah, TV series stars. Yeah, yeah. So you know, he 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 knew how to have fun too. In 2006, he directed a live orchestra using authentic period orchestrations for the premiere screening of the newly restored silent version of oh, Chicago yeah, yeah. from 1927 film, and that was at the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences in Los Angeles. That had mm. that had to really be that had to a, be a pinnacle stellar show yeah. to see. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. you know, you know, he did. You know, we not we haven't got time to get into it, but he also did a ton of theater. He did he did summer stock. He did you know mm-hmm. off Broadway. He did Broadway, uh, and he did one down at the Old Globe and down in San Diego, which I have been to, and it's a great theater. But he did of Mice and Men playing Curly, and yeah. I could just see him. He did perfect <laughs> in that. Great mm-hmm. play, great play, as is just about anything Steinbeck does. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Absolutely. we're pretty much out of time here. I think uh, yeah, we do have a couple of moments. A couple well, of moments left. Uh, you want to throw Hell, in something there? Yeah, Hellboy. Yep. He did. He did. He did uh, the uh, song, you know, soundtrack sound. Yeah. Uh, easy come, easy go. Uh, he starred in a little picture called Courage of Black Beauty. He was the star, and. Uh, yeah, it was 57, so it was early on in his career. He did another one, Indian Paint. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was in 64. He played an Indian named Nishkiko, and uh, Jay Silverhills, the great Jay Silverhills, was in it. But uh, his brother was in it with him, and uh, you know, it was it was an interesting film. He was, was you know young boy coming to manhood, uh, Rickerwa Indian. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, that's just the kind of stuff. Next week, when we uh, have our program, we're going to talk with a Western, how, how, how do West, we describe Lifestyle. Lifestyle, expert. Western lifestyle consultant. Yes. Bill Reynolds. Todd, you know Bill much better than we do, so briefly introduce. give us a, a little rundown on, on Bill Reynolds. Well, Bill's my hero, truly. I, you know... Bill lives the life that all of us that love the West and want to be around the West lives. 
He lives up in uh, Santa Ynez. He lives on a little ranch up there. He's got a beautiful wife and daughters. And he's been involved in the West in every different way, from owning with his father, Bolin, the great jewelry company and saddle maker company, to growing up in, in Hollywood with his dad running CBS television okay, and we gotta, also gotta Golden le- West Broadcasting. Got to leave it there. Got to leave it there. It's going to be a great show. People, be, yep. please, please tune in. Do You be must there, not be miss. Square. That's right. You must not miss this. That's it for this edition of Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker France, and Todd Roberts. 78, 79, 80. And so on, everybody. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West. 